the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Praise to the God who reigns above. Jesus' fame grew all around Israel, many people being a fan of his good work, but not willing to give up their pride and accept his salvation. Jesus shared that he would suffer many things and be rejected by the chief priests and elders of Israel. The religious leaders of the day hated Jesus and wanted him dead. They conspired against him to see how they might have him murdered. Jesus taught the people to beware of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He told them not to follow after money or any form of covetousness. Jesus then warned his disciples to be ready for when he would return. He also told them that following after him might bring division, with people rising up against Jesus' disciples, rejecting their message. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 12, verse 53. Father and a son. I mean, there, there was no tighter relationship back then than, than a father and a son, a son to his father. Mother against daughter, daughter and mother. Mother-in-law, daughter-in-law. I know it sounds weird in our culture where those tend to be negative sometimes, but not, in that culture, it was never that way. I mean, when you were a daughter-in-law, like when you were coming to a family, there was no one. You'd, it's not like you came into, you know, if your husband had all these brothers and they were nice guys and you hung out with, no, you didn't hang out with anybody. The women and the men didn't interact. The only person that you clung to to find some sense of normalcy in your new life, some sense of belonging was your mother-in-law. She was the one you, you dwelt with. She was the one you got close to. She's the one that you cried on her shoulder when you missed your home. But even that, even that might be broken up when you decide to follow Jesus. Unfortunately, some in the church have used these verses throughout history to justify persecution of non-believers. That is not what Jesus is teaching. If you're mistreating a non-believer or retaliating against an enemy, you're in sin and you need to repent. Jesus did not do that. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, I believe, verse 21, 1 Peter 2, for even hereunto were you called. And this is what our calling is. You say, I've got a calling from the Lord. Well, here's one you can know for sure you have a calling. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. What are his steps? Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him that judges righteously. That's your calling as a Christian. That's your calling as a Christian. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, I think verse 12. 1 Peter four twelve. He said, Beloved, those who are loved by God. This is why we can do this. is because we, we know that we're loved by God. He says, beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. I always read that verse and I chuckle because you ever see those verses in the Bible where it says, hey, don't be ignorant about this. You can guarantee whatever follows after that the church is probably going to be ignorant about it because we don't pay attention. 
That's why Jesus warned us, pay attention to this, don't be ignorant on this. And this is one of those verses which I always kind of chuckle at because we act like that. For example, the New York legislature passed a law that they can now do abortions up to the very moment of birth. Horrible, wicked thing, wicked idea, okay? And I realize that there are some out there going, oh, you're overblowing this will. It only is if it's a mother's life's in danger and that's at the discretion of the doctor. Yes, like every doctor we've ever had here is honest. Like every doctor here is, is sinless and never, never thinks to himself, you know, I can make an extra whatever amount of money by doing the abortion. None, none ever think that way. We've never had a doctor in our country who ever performed illegal abortions and sold the body parts. We've never had that, right? Every mother out there is, is always thinking about what's in the best interest of, of her child, right? Those things aren't true. We've signed a document of slaughter. But here's the crazy thing. The crazy thing is that we're shocked about it. You're really shocked the New York legislature passed that? And then we get angry and we lash out. That's not Christ. I had somebody come up to me and they said, after I preached this in the first service, they said, you know, my first thought when I saw that was, those poor people, they are storing up wrath unto themselves. That's a better response. It's a better response. I wish I would say I was there. I'm not there yet. I get angry. Imagine doing things to people that ought not to be done. It's easy to say, Lord, just take them out. I hate those people. Take them out. They wreck in our country, wreck in our life. We should never be shocked when the world doesn't listen to us. Like we go, that's horrible. That's wrong. Don't you know we have strong feelings about this? Don't you know God said something about this? Don't you know that life is valuable to God, whether it's in the womb or after, out of the womb? Don't you understand that? They don't listen. Why don't they listen? We act like, like this is strange behavior instead of normal behavior, the way the world is. So let's go back in time to another time. And we had a wonderful gentleman, beautiful leader named Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, this is the guy who they couldn't figure out what his dream was. And so he said, well, just kill them all and turn their homes into dunghills. You know, like, like if I'm the wife of one of those wise men, I would kind of be like, hey, you know, I, I'm not any part of this. You know, could you please spare my home from being turned into a dunghill? This is this arrogant, prideful, violent guy. And into this situation, God, who loves everybody, including the New York legislature, gives this man a dream, two dreams, but one in particular, a dream that warns him of the judgment that's coming upon him because of his pride and because of his wickedness. And it freaks him out so badly that he doesn't play any games this time with his wise men. He just comes out and goes, somebody tell me what this means. Anybody tell me what this means. And Daniel, God, who's already intervened in this guy's life, trying to rescue him from himself, gives him a dream, personally intervenes in his life by giving him a terrifying dream. And then Daniel, here's the guy that Nebuchadnezzar is responsible for him being ripped from his homeland, from being taken into the court, a court filled with pagan witchcraft-using astrologers, taught the Babylonian theology, threatened on numerous occasions to take his life. And here comes Daniel up and he goes, O king, this dream is, is it's for your enemies. Like, if you don't listen to this dream, if you don't take this warning seriously and repent, if you don't humble yourself, your enemies, are, they are going to be so happy, king. If I were Daniel at that point in time, I think probably I'd be like, go get him, God. Maybe I can go home finally, leave this mess of a place. But he's the one who stands up for the king and he says, oh, king, your enemies will be happy about this. Please repent. Please listen to this warning from God. Please humble yourself. For it is God who reigns and he is the one who gives the right to rule. Everything you have, it was God who gave it to you. You haven't built a thing. 
puts his own life on the line to try to save this man's life. And what does Nebuchadnezzar do? Thank you, Daniel. That's such a good perspective. I really got to think about that. Maybe change some laws around here. No. Nebuchadnezzar, he ignores the warning, the loving, gracious warning that he doesn't deserve from Daniel, that he doesn't deserve from God. And then months later, he walks out, looks over his palace, and he goes, look at this amazing kingdom I've built. I'm like, again, if you're Daniel, you got to be thinking this jerk doesn't listen to me, doesn't listen to anything I say, whatever, fine, die. And in that moment, Nebuchadnezzar struck with insanity. Now, you think our political climate's toxic? You think, you think Democrats and Republicans are trying to take each other out left and right here? You think, you, you think our house is trying to destroy our president and vice versa? Back then, you get sick, you get assassinated. You, you get ill like that mentally, you're killed by your political enemies. So how in the world did Nebuchadnezzar survive insanity for seven years? How in the world? I don't know, but I'm gonna take a guess that Daniel had something to do with it. And at the end of those seven years, Nebuchadnezzar was given back his mind and this wicked, arrogant, guilty man, guilty of many crimes, including murder, looks up to heaven and he goes, now I know. Now I know who's really in charge. And that man found forgiveness with God and he's in eternity with us. So let me ask you a question. What would be more glorious? That we get on our face and we cry out for the souls of the New York legislature or rail on them from social media or wherever else and pray for their destruction. Listen, David said, I hate him with perfect hatred, Lord. I want you to fix this. But when David says that, it comes alongside the idea of God, if it's possible, have mercy on him and rescue him. And that needs to be our heart. That needs to be our heart. He said, beloved, think it not strange concerning, this is gonna happen. This is our life as Christians, persecution. And when it happens, rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering so that when his glory shall be revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Because if you are reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. And if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. You should be ashamed if you're suffering because you're a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a busybody. If, if you're reacting to evil, not like Jesus does, if you don't love your enemies, then you should be ashamed. But if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but glorify God because of that. You know, if you've been mistreated or lost a friend or been mocked by your family because you've decided to follow Jesus or you're being obedient to Jesus, that's what the Lord's saying here. Someone you love dearly, someone you have familiar bonds with, they may count you a fool or even an enemy, but don't be shocked by that. Pray for them. Be kind to them. Do good to them. Now, if that's you or if you're in there right now, I know that hurts. You probably think, why don't they understand? Why can't they see the awesome things God's doing in my life? Why must they be so cruel? But realize it's not about you. 
It's about Jesus. And when you're hurting, remember that and pray for them. Do good to them, love them. Because that's what Jesus did to his enemies when he went to the cross. That's what God did to Nebuchadnezzar and it's what Jesus is doing now. Now we reach this point in Luke. We are still in Luke. Verse 53, and it sounds like a good place to end the sermon, right? I mean, everything said that needs to be said. Jesus has finished telling his disciples, you need to be vigilant. Don't love this present world more than you love me. Put me first. But the reality is, remember, there's a crowd still out there. He's been talking to the disciples privately up to this point. Now there's a crowd out there. So he has something to say to them about his return in glory before he ends the teaching. And so in verse 54, he says, He said also unto the people. And the word there said, it's in the imperfect tense, which means he keeps repeating this short sermon over and over again. I don't preach short sermons. Jesus did. He said also unto the people, and he kept saying it. He kept repeating it. When you see a cloud rise out of the west, straightway you say, well, there comes a shower. And so it is. When the Mediterranean Sea is right there, and that's how you know the storms are coming, just the way the winds work over there. So when you see this clouds coming across the sea, you know a thunderstorm's coming. And guess what? That's how it goes down. And when you see the south wind blow from the desert, he says, you know there's going to be heat, and that's exactly how it goes down. You guys are experts on the weather because you have studied it. People made these statements with great confidence because over time and study, they'd learned to interpret those signs correctly. So here's the thought. If someone could do that with what I would consider something as eternally minuscule as weather? Why on earth aren't they well studied as it concerns God's teaching about their Messiah? Why weren't they as learned and well studied as it concerned God's teaching in his word about the Messiah? And so after Jesus explains to them, you you guys get this right, you hypocrites, you hypocrites, you pretenders is what that means, someone who pretends to be something other than they really are. He says, you can discern the face of the sky. The word discern there means to have solid information through thorough testing. You have examined this. You have studied it. You've watched the results, and so you know that's how it works. You can do that with the appearance of the sky or the appearance of the earth, but how is it that you do not discern this time? Jesus called them pretenders because most of, most of those in Jesus' day saw themselves as experts on God, experts on his plan, when the truth was they knew very little about God and his plan because they did not study his word. They studied what the rabbis taught or what this priest said or what these other writings said. They didn't study God's word. And because of that, they were completely confident in rejecting Christ despite the fact that all of God's word predicted this is exactly what the Messiah would do. He was right in their midst. You know, when you read John chapter 7, it's a fascinating chapter. The brothers of Jesus say, listen, you know, nobody does anything in secret when they're important. So go up and do your Messiah thing in Jerusalem during the feast and then everybody will know you're true. Jesus goes, you guys, you don't, you don't know the time right. It's not my time yet to do that. And so Jesus goes down quietly in secret to the feast. Now everybody's there. And the last day of the feast, Jesus stands up, finally unveils his secrecy and says, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me. I'll satisfy your every thirst. And not only that, out of you shall gush torrents of living water. I, will, I won't just change your life and satisfy you. I'll use you to change other people's lives too. 
Now, when they hear this, it has a great impact on them. And people start going, man, that's got to be the, the prophesied prophet that Moses talked about. All these opinions. No, no, no. It, it, no, it's got to be the Messiah. And other people go, no, it can't be the Messiah. He's from Galilee. We know the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee. You see all these opinions, one after another, and then they all just dissipate because they can't figure it out because that's how they did church. Whenever they got together, they didn't say, God says this. They said, well, you know, Rabbi so-and-so thinks this, and Rabbi so-and-so thinks this, and then we have this targum from this priest who thought this way and whatever, and everybody kind of walk away and going, oh, okay, well, I like that one, so that's my thought. They had no clue what God said. And so the Lord says, you have not spent any time studying my word, and so you don't understand this time that's right in front of you. What's crazy is, let's just remove all that. Like, let's take Jesus out of the picture here. Because then he goes, yea, and why even of yourselves do you not judge what is right? Let's give him a benefit of the doubt. Maybe it is hard to understand the Messiah. Maybe, maybe it was confusing to them. But what excuse should they have for their wickedness every single day? Why do you not judge what's right amongst yourselves? Why have you not made up your mind or decided what kind of behavior is in accordance with God's word? See, if Jesus wasn't there fulfilling all these prophecies about the Messiah, they already had God's word to light them on the issues of right and wrong, but they ignored those or even contradicted God's commands. That's why Jesus would say, well, the word says, honor thy father and thy mother, but you say, and then he would talk about their law that nullified it. And so Jesus, he says, guys, I'm fulfilling prophecy right before your eyes, but you don't realize it because you're not in God's word. But even if I wasn't doing that, you have enough to condemn you because God's word tells you right and wrong and you're not doing that. That's not hard to understand. And so Jesus says, listen, I came to bring fire. I came to fix the world. But what Israel didn't realize is that this hypocrisy, by that they were part of the problem and therefore no better than the pagans. So even though Jesus offered them life, that if they'd repent and be willing subjects to his kingdom, he would have brought peace on earth. The reality is they didn't. They ignored God's prophecies. They ignored God's commands and they ended up murdering their own Messiah. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think God's just okay with that? No, he is not. And what does a king do to when rebels in his kingdom? He deals with them. And so Jesus, he explains, you guys need to repent because when I come back, I'm going to deal with all the rebels, Jew or Gentile. So the time to repent is now while there's still time. Verses 58 and 59, he says to them, by illustration, when you go with your adversary to the magistrate, when you've got someone who's pressing charges against you, has a legal case against you, and you're going before the judge, while you're on the way, give diligence that you may be delivered from him. It means do everything in your power to make a settlement with him, to come to terms before you get to the court. Because if you get to the court, if it, lest he hail you to the judge, means drag you to the judge, and then the judge delivers you to the bailiff, the officer, and then the bailiff casts you into prison, guess what, I tell you, then there will be no settlement. Then you shall not depart from there till you have paid the very last might. The might was one 128th of a day's wage. Pocket change. Take your daily wage and divide it by 128. And he says, oh, you're gonna, be, you're gonna pay for that too. See, there is no escaping God. 
you can't come to God and you can't say, well, you know, I know I've done some wrong things, but you know, I've tried to be a good dad. I've tried to be a hard worker, be a good citizen. You know, I think that makes up for most of it, right, God? And the Lord's like, yeah, but you still owe me $10.49. You're still short. Yeah, but it's just 10 bucks, Lord. I mean, what's that between friends? And the Lord will say, it's not just 10 bucks. It's $10.49. And we are not friends. We are not friends. For I never knew you. You didn't care what I thought. You thought you could do your own thing and you ended up going around and hurting everybody around you. I can't just ignore that. And since you didn't settle with me beforehand through Christ's blood, now you have to pay. Now, if you don't repent, if you continue to ignorantly trust in your own goodness while daily opposing God's commands, the debt that you owe for your sin, it's unpayable. It's not just 1049. It's astronomical. And therefore, your judgment is eternal. For God knows everywhere you've been, everything you've done, and everything you've thought of doing. So why not make things right with him now while you still can, while there's still time? Jesus, he cries this message out over and over. He keeps repeating it to the multitudes. Why? Because he does love us. Despite all the evil we've done, despite everything he knows about us, despite the fact that we could never get away from him, he loves us. And he wants us to repent. He doesn't want to bring the fire. He wants to save us. He wants to rescue us. And that's why David could say, oh, how precious to me are your thoughts, oh Lord. How great are the sum of them all. Lord, you know everything about me and yet you still love me. And then he proved it by going to the cross. He wants to rescue us. Now, we come to the end and you think, man, that was a heavy chapter, Pastor Will. How about John 3.16 next week? It is sobering. And the entire chapter really leaves me with two sobering thoughts that I'd like to leave you with before we close. First, I don't want to be someone who pretends to walk with God. You know, Peter may have asked the question, Lord, are you talking to us or to everybody? You know, when Jesus said these heavy things. But the reality is, Judas was the one who ignored the answer. The Lord said, be prepared. Get your heart ready. Be a faithful, wise servant. And Judas ignored all that and just kept going right down the road he was going down. And it cost him everything. You and I need to love Jesus more than anything else, even if it costs us everything. We need to be found doing what we're supposed to be doing. Denying ourselves, serving others, obeying his commands. And so if you've been around Jesus a lot, but you haven't repented of your sins and bowed the knee, then time's running out. I mean, 2,000 years ago, he said, be ready. So we're in the end of the third watch. Time is running out. The Lord wants to rescue you, so don't put it off. But secondly, not only do I not want to be someone who pretends to walk with God, but I don't want to be ill-prepared for Jesus' second coming like God's people were for his first coming. It is so easy to get sidetracked in our faith, especially when a lot of the noise out there has a Jesus stamp on it. It is so easy. So let's purpose in our hearts to be a vigilant, prepared people, right? Let's purpose in our hearts to be a vigilant, prepared people. And that way, whether the trumpet sounds in our lifetime or not, Jesus will find us doing his will. Amen? Let's all stand. Lord, we read this text, and I confess to you, I, I do not believe I've 
even remotely done justice to it, Lord. I, I pray for things that were said too harshly by me, Lord, that you'll erase it from our minds. Things that were said too lightly by me, Lord, that you'll beef them up by your spirit. So that, Lord, we leave here today with a correct understanding of your word. Lord, the seriousness of discipleship. Lord, that we would be vigilant at all times, never growing lazy, never beating the men's servants and the maidens, never just loving this world like Demas did and forsaking you as a result. Lord, we don't want to settle for any compromise in our lives. We want to be those who love, Lord, love and truth because, Lord, it's not out there today. You know, you said, you know, if it's not love if you just love those who love you, and that is where we're at today, Lord. There is, there is unkindness, Lord, and wickedness everywhere towards those that don't agree with somebody. Let that not be said of us. Let us be those who shine brightly, Lord, because we love our enemies. We do good to them. Lord, we never compromise truth a bit, but we never compromise love either. Lord, fill us with your spirit in these last days that we might be faithful. Lord, fill up our lamps with oil so that when you come and find us, you find us so doing. In the meantime, Lord, if there are some here who don't know you today, Lord, maybe they've been around you, but they've never repented. They've never made you king of their life, Lord. They've been in rebellion to you. Lord, I pray that you'd remind them you love them, Lord. Their time is running out, but you love them with an everlasting love, Lord. Your heart's desire is to rescue them from that rebellion. Lord, my prayer today is that we'd all leave here in submission to the King of Kings. In Jesus' name, amen. Following Jesus comes with a cost. There is a tendency to think that everything will be happy and comfortable when accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. But that is not the marks of true discipleship. And while a life lived in Christ is full of joy and wonder, it can be quite costly in the eyes of the world. Losing jobs, friends, family members, comfortability, easy retirement and living. To follow after Christ is to deny ourselves, to die to ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow him. This is the call to discipleship. But know that to see the power of Christ's resurrection in our life, we must also bear the fellowship of his sufferings. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.